the only way we really deal with those idols this morning is through the idea of repentance. Uh, Leon's Crump, pastor down in Atlanta, says this, we want revival that routes us around the path of repentance. We often think when we talk about this idea of renewal and revival and our idols, we often think, well, as long as we can just pray about it, we're okay. But, but honestly, if we're going to see true revival happen in any category, if you trace it in history, if you saw revival happen in any part of history, it happens when we go through repentance, not when we detour around repentance. And so this morning, I want to kind of dive heavily into this idea of repentance, and may we not be guilty of what Israel was in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 10. Last week we looked at Jeremiah 10. This week I want to look at Jeremiah 3 just for a second. It says this in Jeremiah chapter 3 it says yet for all this so they've been through a lot we looked at that last week yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart but in pretense declares the Lord treacherous as much as it had been Judah and Israel uh, this idea of treacherous was, was a word that was used to basically say how bad Judah was. Now, here's the irony. Judah thought they were the best. Judah thought that they were the most obedient to Jesus Christ. They were the tribe in the, in the Old Testament that thought they were closest to the Lord. And yet, he is saying to them, you have become more treacherous than that of your sister tribe of Israel and Judah. And he says, you, you, you kind of combated each other and you both have sinned so much that Judah has now won in, in the sin scale. To kind of give you an idea of Judah and Israel at that time and how separated and how much they did not like each other, uh, even though they were from the same, from the same Jewish nation, uh, all you have to do is think of this week coming up <laughs> and you realize that as a nation, we're pretty divided uh, into two different camps and, and we're pretty solid in those two different camps. And, and the, the hatred that was kind of spewed between these two camps was pretty obvious. And yet God says to them, hey, even you, Judah, who were the most obedient, you have not returned with your whole heart, but have returned in pretense, declares the Lord. Again, we are in day 15 of our 21 days of prayer, and I want to challenge us today to not come back to Jesus in pretense only. I want to show you this morning how to repent and how to do it in a way that's not just lip service. Israel in this verse above um, were absolutely uh, lit up by God in their behavior. There's some words that I can't repeat here because it's kind of a mixed audience and there's some younger people in the room. So you're kind of like, wow, the Bible has stuff like that in it. Where's he going? Jeremiah chapter 3. Uh, start reading verse 1 and work your way through. You're going to be like, whoa, God is mad. And he's using some big adjectives and some adjectives that don't really fit in this, you know, mixed company. So that's interesting. But basically he's saying, hey, you've had not only an affair, you've had multiple affairs on me and, and you've got to stop. You, you, you've been cheating on me, and you've been all over the place, and I need you to just come back. The reality is that there was a king from Judah and Israel who reigned 250 years prior to the time of this actual letter being written by Jeremiah. So 250 years earlier from this letter, King David, who you may have heard about, had an affair and even killed the husband to cover it up. And so as we talk about repentance today, I want to look at his response, and he's going to show us through his actions and words how to really repent. He's going to show us how to not come back in pretense that Jeremiah talks about, how to not just fake it, but to actually truly come back when it comes to repentance. So I want to read some of his actions in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15 to 22, and then we're going to dive the rest of the time in Psalm 51. So again, 
idols were part of the, the, the nation of Israel and Judah. And they had been disobedient for years. They, they try to come back to God, but they do it in a way that's fake and not real or genuine. And so as a result, he's coming against the nation of Israel. And I want to, again, back us up 250 years to a king who actually disobeyed God specifically in this way. And, and he's going to show us through the life of David's heart and actions how we are to come to repentance this morning. So chapter 12, 15b says this, and this is going to the life of David. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. Now, interesting, isn't it? That if you know the story of David and Bathsheba, that um, you would think that the Lord afflicted the child. You would think it would say David's child. You would think it would say Bathsheba's child. But isn't it interesting that the Bible calls out the guilty party here specifically and says the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. He says, David, you can't cover this up anymore. This is, this, is, this is coming at you strong. And he became sick. And David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay on all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not. Nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And so for seven days, David enters into deep, deep repentance for his actions. He doesn't eat. He almost doesn't sleep. He doesn't leave his room. And for seven days, they're worried because this is not just any person. This is the king of Israel, okay? This is the bigger than president of the United States. This is a title that is like ruling and reigning over the entire nation. And they haven't seen him for seven days. Hasn't made any decisions, hasn't done anything. And he's repentant for seven long days. And the servant of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead after these seven days. For they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he, and, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. He may commit suicide. If we tell him how bad this is, that his child has actually passed away, that God's promise came and it was fulfilled in a very bad, terrible way, he, he may take his own life if this is the case. But when David saw his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? He knew. He saw the whisperings. He knew this was bound to happen if, if, if God chose to go this route. And they said, he is dead. And you would think at that moment, in hearing the death of a child, there would be this crazy, even worse reaction. You would think suicide would have been a, a very natural response for David. But David says, and then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He ate, then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Not a typical response. At some point, you would kind of say, wow, isn't that kind of cruel? And, and isn't that really show David's heart that he really didn't love this child or that he's just really selfish? You're going to see that that's not the case. Then the servant said to him, what is this thing you have done? You, you fasted and wept for the child while he, while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. So why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. It's a very interesting passage. We don't have time to dive into all of that. But for the sake of this morning, his actions were fasting, remorse, lasting seven days. After this repentance, though, and after this time of putting himself before God, he worshiped. Isn't that crazy good? Instead of just saying, I'm, just, I'm always going to be stuck in this thing. I'm always just going to be uh, uh, defined by it. He, he turned it over to God and said, all of this is now in your plate. He repents, and then he worships. He says, while I am sure he, I'm sorry, I said, while I'm sure he has placed 
uh, uh, he is plagued by the death of his, his son. He, he's plagued by what he did to his now wife. The narrator doesn't show us any of that, but instead shows us the camera angle of repentance. That as strong as his grief and requesting of God's mercy was, it was his trust that God would do good and be wise in whatever God chose to do. And we know this because David actually wrote a psalm about these very actions, and that psalm is Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Psalm 51. He writes about it here in Psalm 51. He also writes about it in Psalm 32. And so if you ever want to see a king's heart in the midst of repentance, if you've really thought you've blown it, right, and you feel like there is no coming back to God because I have just done too much, there is no way I can come back to God because my life is a wreck. I want you to see that you can come back, and there's a heart of repentance that is here. So let's spend the rest of our time uh, here in these words of, of Psalm 51. We'll see that true repentance happens in both the heart and our actions. True repentance comes out, in a, out of an awareness. This is, this is key. True repentance comes out of an awareness of a relationship, not a contract. Okay? What you have in Jesus Christ is a sealed till the day of eternity, 100% given. You are entering into eternity. It is, you are sealed to the moment of salvation. Yes, there is that contract piece. But God is saying you are in a relationship, not just a transactional contract. You see, David did not repent just because the, the painful effects of the sin. He didn't repent because he got caught. He didn't repent because he was just clearing his conscience. He didn't repent to alleviate just the guilt or to stop the pain and suffering which I think so often sometimes we can be guilty of. And actually, this is not a new thing. Um, just a quick caveat here, rabbit trail. I've been in this book um, by Thomas Watson called The Doctrine of Repentance. Uh, and it's a book that was actually written back in 1668. And um, it is a throttling <laughs> when it comes to repentance, but it's also a throttling when it comes to God's mercy and he says this um, in this book uh, uh, called The Doctrine of Repentance. He says, if pain and suffering were sufficient to repentance, then the damned in hell should be most penitent, for they are in anguish. He says, if it's just about pain and suffering to turn us to repentance, if that's enough, then shouldn't the people in hell be out of there already? And there's a whole theological argument, I get it, you know, can they return all that stuff? But, but he's giving the point here. That if it's just about pain and suffering, that's not enough. What, what, what ultimately true repentance is, we're going to see a little further on. So what is this true repentance then? How do we avoid Israel's mistakes and return as David did with our whole hearts, not just in pretense only? Thomas Watson's book offers, uh, again, six in ingredients that may be helpful categories for as we read through Psalm 51. So here's our model as we read through Psalm 51. There's going to be a... Um, a circle here that kind of is the, the phases that we can walk through when it comes to repentance. And these are, these are as he lists them, 16 things needed for repentance. Um, I don't know why the percentages are up there. That's probably my fault. So <laughs> you're welcome. Can you see those? Oh, see, I shouldn't say anything. Anyway, uh, they're fine. Everything's great. 
Perfect. Uh, this is my bad. Uh, but anyway, you can see that these kind of things are what we're going to work through. Sight, sorrow, confession, shame, hatred, and turning. These things are the cycle we need to, to walk through if we're going to find true repentance. So let's begin with this idea of sight first, right? David saw the sin before him. He repented. His actions were that and proving that he saw the mistakes of his life. And that's what we've been working on last week. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in sight. We looked at that last week. How do you find your idols? How do you locate them? I think it's just through prayer and, and putting some categories to them. You find it. Now we move into the second part, though, and that is this idea of sorrow. So Psalm 51, beginning in verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This, this idea of mercy is listed twice. Have mercy on me, O God. And then he says, according to your abundant mercy. So he's asking for something that is already a characteristic of the God he serves. And not just a characteristic of the God he serves, but he has a mercy in reserves. <laughs> His bank account is not drained of mercy. You could take your debit card to him at any point and say, I need mercy and withdraw as much as you need. Isn't that crazy cool? So you can think of all the sins you've had in your life and all the sins you've currently had in the last 24 hours, and you can go to God and say, you have an abundance and a warehouse of mercy. I need it. I want it. Can I have this mercy that you have offered to me? Mercy is simply God's unrelenting love for us in which he sympathetically meets our sorrow and our pain by offering his son on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So the request for mercy is heard. But here's, here's the beautiful thing. This word mercy is the word shana in, in Hebrew. And this word is actually not just meant for mercy as we understand it, but it's a beautiful word in the fact that it encompasses not just relief from the pain, but mercy here has a larger component and a component of, the, of, of, of a word called favor. So it, he's saying this, this word is used on purpose to say not only does God forgive me, but he likes me. I don't know about you, but in my own life, when I go into repentance, I am pretty darn sure that God does not like me. At that point in time, the sins that I have committed, I go to God and say, okay, I know we're bad. I know this is how this works. I don't know that you like me right now, but I'm going to ask it anyway. David comes and he uses a word that says, God not only has mercy and abundance for you, but he likes you. He is with you. In asking for this forgiveness, this mercy. He says, be gracious, show me favor, a beautiful and quiet confidence that God will show mercy. And mercy that will result in favor that David so desperately needs. So the first step in us coming to, in repentance is this idea of sorrow. Do you, do you look at what you've done in your sin and through the power of the Spirit working in you as well? Is, this, is, 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 is there this moment where there's just sorrow for what you have Done. Not because you got caught, not because the pain is there, but a deep sorrow because there's a break in the relationship with Christ. And then there's the, the, the third piece, and that's this idea of confession, right? So we have a sight, there's sorrow, and now we move into confession. You're good. Uh, and so in confession, we read the next verses here in verses 3 and 4. He says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
Here's an interesting thought that I have every time I read this. Isn't it interesting that he says, against you and you only have I sinned? I think of reality. I'm like, uh, you killed a dude. Um, you're with the wife that you took from the dead guy. And you've got a kingdom that's looking at you and all this sin that you've just committed. How can you say against you and you alone? And I think what David's saying here is he's saying, I see my relationship with Christ, my, my relationship with God, I should say, is so vitally important. It is the only thing that matters. And if I have a break in the relationship with God, I can't stand in the midst of my other relationships. If my relationship with God ain't right, ain't no relationship right. That's my Joel version. Okay, so um, Joel 5.5. 5. Um, if I ain't right with God, then I ain't right in any relationship that I have regardless of that. Does that make sense? And so he says, I want you to hear, God, that it's against you and you alone that I have sinned. Orion, an early Christian scholar, theologian, calls confession the vomit of our souls. <laughs> I'm like, yes. It is, the, it is the vomit of our souls. And he says, it's not only that, but he says, we, it's the vomit of our souls. And when we have vomited up our sin, we, we must not return to it. It brings in so much contrast and so much clarity, I should say, not contrast, clarity to the proverb of when a dog returns to its vomit, right? You've all been there, seen that. Isn't that a great thing to experience when your dog kind of like has the moment, right? And all of a sudden you're kind of like, no, don't. Okay, that's gone. Um, and then you get to the point later when you've had a dog long enough where you're, you kind of are like, please clean it up. Please just clean it up. I don't care. Just keep going. Great. Now I don't have to pick it up, right? Um, but it's gross. It's disgusting. And I want that visual to stick when we talk about confession because it's kind of like a, okay, all right? God, here is all of my stuff. Here is all of my junk. And I don't want to return to it because I've seen the visual and it's gross, okay? Orion is so good. Even back in the 16th or early, early, early Christianity, he says, we must not return to it. Confession is hard for many of us because we uh, like as what we, we, we do what we, we often hear, and that is we hide our sins. We give half confessions. Um, if you've been there before, somebody asks you how your relationship with Christ is going, and you give a half confession, uh, I really fell this week, or I really struggled this week, or, or whatever it is, and we kind of give some half things to kind of, because we don't want to really go full on, because we're not really sure how it's going to handle it. But here's what Watson, and here's what the Bible teaches. We are to go full in with confession. We are to have some people in our lives to where we can throw up all of our sin and put it on the table and say, here's me. And they can look at you and say, okay, let's work on that. Let's get moving on that. It's not a mincing of words because when we mince words and when we're not really honest and we don't really put everything on the table, it's the words of a guy named Scott Thomas and Tom Wood who say, tolerating sin is a willful leap toward committing it. If we're not real and honest, we're going to be just as prone to do it again. If we are not honest, if we just tolerate sin, we will be prone to do it again. We can't mince words. We can't mitigate our sins. David here does not mitigate his sins. He doesn't say, well, it's kind of bad that I did this, God. He's full in and saying, this is me. I need repentance we can't get to the point where we mince our words, where we hide from our sin, we give half confessions. And sadly, we, we have people around us that maybe don't have Christ in their life, or, or maybe those that do, who can even brag and boast about their sins or plead for more opportunities to do them. 
I've met many in, 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 in Christianity that have gone through some big dark seasons in their life and their relationship with Christ, and they feel like they just want sin more and more and more and more and more, and it's controlling their life. I've personally been through those seasons where I just want more sin and more sin and more sin that I want more Jesus in my life. And when we commit sins like this, we become not only the devil's servants, but we almost then, um, when we're pleading for these sins, we almost make Satan as our attorney, pleading our case for why sins aren't bad. The reality is, however, though, that he will ultimately take his fee, and we have to understand that. So confession is part of this idea of repentance. It's not just sorrow, it's, it's the words, it's the relationships to say, I have failed in this area specifically, and I need to come clean. Many of you come from um, the more orthodox, right? Some of you have been, that come here, you, you've come from the orthodox church, and so confession for you is not a new thing. You would do it all the time. Every week, you would, you know, say your confession and move on. Those in the evangelical circles, we may have a hard time with this because we just assume the confession is just between me and Jesus, and then I'm good. What he's saying here is, no, it's, it's more than that. It is truly about entering us as a body in. And we're going to see that as we finish out a little later here. So, confession. And then the last, or, I'm sorry, in the next part of the circle, he talks about shame and hatred, verses 5 and 9. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. I was, I was made in sin. And, and this is just my nature. And I have to fight it at a continual pace. And then he also has this hatred of it. He says, I want to get it removed. I want it blotted out. I want all my iniquities gone. I don't want to go back to it. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. There's one thing to be um, caught in, in a sin. It's, it's another thing to actually confess a thing of sin, but it's a whole other ball game when you get to the point of shame and hatred, where you dislike that sin so much that you just get plain old angry at it. And I feel like for many of us in Christianity, we have, a really, we have maybe room to grow in the idea of righteous anger, right? Because we've always maybe been taught in church we're not supposed to be angry, we're not supposed to get upset, we're not supposed to, you know, we just kind of be nice to each other, and it's not a big deal. We have grace, so we're okay. David is asking in some pretty strong terms, and you'll see uh, throughout Scripture that God says, no, 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 sin is not to be messed with. You're to hate it. You're to get to the point where you're just like, I hate what this is doing to my life, and I want it gone. And you get ticked at your sin. I pray, <laughs> I pray that through these 21 days, that as you think of your sins and the things God's working out in your life, that you get angry at them. You get mad enough at Satan and the voices he keeps throwing at you of condemnation and accusation and, and throwing these sins in your face all the time. I pray that you get angry enough and be like, it's over. Stop. It's done. I'm over this. I'm, this comes at me one more time. I'm going to lose it. Great. Great. Let's start there. 
rather than, you know what, I messed up again this week. It was really just a bad week. I guess I just got to do better. I'll see you later. Thanks for the coffee. Right? There are moments and sins in our life where we have to just get so mad at them that they just take us. We're like, I want it gone. I want it ripped out. I pray that we would get angry at sin because God is angry at our sin. Thankfully, the blood of Christ is there to alleviate and take the wrath of God on our behalf. Thank God that he gave us his son to take the wrath. But if it weren't for Jesus, we'd be done because of the anger that he has towards sin. And then he says, as you get angry at it, then comes the last and final piece. And that's this idea of turning from our sin. Verse, uh, Psalm 51, verses 10 and 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. There's a turning from it. There's an asking for a new rejuvenated life. Restore to me the joy I love this verse. Let's just kind of look at this real quick. Here are the verbs that he's asking of God in the idea of turning. Let's just kind of throw these up real quick. The, the first one is the idea of create. I want you to create within me a clean heart. I can't do it myself. You have to create it. So create in me a clean heart. And then he says, renew a right spirit within me. That word right is actually better translated steadfast. So as we just talked about prayer and Christ being steadfast and immovable, he's saying, God, renew my heart so that it's stronger and more resilient than it's ever been. You ever pray that for yourself? You ever pray that for your friend who's struggling with that sin? How amazing would that be? God, I pray that you would strengthen their heart, that it's been broken, but you would renew it and it would be stronger than it's ever been so that nothing can come against it. Renew my heart. And then he says, cast me not away. Cast not, don't kick me out of your presence. And then he says, take not, take not your presence and your power from me. Restore, uphold. Man, if I was just to pray that on a weekly basis. (laughs) God, create, God, renew, cast me not out, take, don't take from me, restore, uphold me. Wow. All of it is in relationship with God and all that we need. Create a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit, cast not being near you, take not power, presence from me, restore to me joy and uphold me willingly. The last part of this section here, you can see on the other side, then he says, create these things, do these things, uphold me willingly. As we close this morning, let me just end with this though. It's not enough, I fully believe, well, let me just phrase that. It is enough Okay, it is enough that Christ will forgive you, okay? You you can ask, it will happen. He does that. He has promised to be faithful, right? First John, if we confess, he is faithful and just to, you know, the whole, right? So if we get into, I had a moment, I couldn't think of the rest of the verse, like I just rolled through that. (laughs) If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to renew it, to, of all unrighteousness, thank you. (laughs) Bam, body of the church. Um, 
And so as we work, see, I thought I was going to blow past that. You're kind of like, he just blew earth. I didn't. I stopped. We got it. Okay, cool. Um, so as we f- ask for forgiveness, he does it, yes. However, there's another component, and I want to end with this this morning, because David doesn't end here. I love this. He says this in verse 13 through 15. Then, once this has happened, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, this wasn't just about him and God. This wasn't about just him and Jesus. This was about relationship, and this was about community. If you do this, here's what I will do. See, here's, here's what I think happens. I'm trying to be good because the, the people online, like, I go too far. So um, I think they can still see me. Okay, so here's, here's are we good? Okay, good. So here's, <laughs> here's what we often do. 2020, baby. Woo! Um, here's what we often do when it comes to repentance, right? First off, I almost had these visuals, but I couldn't fit them on stage. So imagine with me if you would. A large wall, okay, a large wall built brick by brick by brick by brick all the way up to the ceiling. And and there's this wall that is separating God from me, okay? And and this wall is can almost be could be described as a dam, right? Because all the pressure is coming against it. God's there. And so what we can often do is we can put this wall right here and be on this side, and we say, God, you're not allowed to have access to my life, you're not allowed to have access to my sins, I'm not letting you in. And so God just not that he's unstoppable, but but in his grace, he would say, There's a wall there. I'm praying that wall would come down. I'm working on you to get that wall down. And eventually, maybe that wall does come down, okay? That's one wall. Us, God on the other side. No, no, no. I don't want you to touch my sin. I don't don't want you near my sin. I can't can't do it. Let's say eventually you you come to that point. You're like, okay, okay, okay. I've got to get things right. This is not working. I am, my bones are wasting away, as David says in one of his psalms. And so we take the wall and we move it to this side, of us, okay? And so we put the wall here. We've just kind of transferred it. So visually think of the wall is now here. We are here. God is working in us, and it is awesome. He is transforming us. We're putting our sins before him. We're confessing them, and it's great. And all this energy and all of this repentance is just kind of circulating around the room, but it's just hitting against this wall, hitting against this wall, and it's just me and Jesus, me and Jesus till eternity. Woo! And on the other side of the wall is all of your relationships that are currently in your life. And so you're on this side of the wall receiving all of the benefits of God, receiving all of the grace of God, receiving all of the forgiveness of God, and it just kind of just stops with you. And I think, unfortunately, that's what we've been taught in Christianity for a long time. It's just you and Jesus. So if you're right with Jesus, everything's good, Okay. I want to take us into Psalm 51 where David says, no, 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 there's more to this thing. There's a, there's a level outside of this. And he's asking us in Christianity, he's telling us to take our wall, and he's telling us to just throw it away so that the forgiveness and the grace that comes God to us, we let it flow through us to all of our relationships on this side. And we stop building this dam up of just kind of like, okay, me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. We toss that away so that what God does in me flows out to you. 
the negative side of that is just selfishness, right? I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't like people. I'm an introvert. Don't make me talk to people. It's just me and Jesus. I like to come in. I like to go, and I don't need other people in my life. You've talked about these community groups. No, thank you. I'm good, right? And so we, we kind of just, it's just me and Jesus. We're going to make it to eternity. We miss the most important part where David says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. I will use your story in my life to remind all of the relationships around me how destructive sin is. I won't waste your story in my life. My fear, Community Bible Church, is that we would waste our stories we get to eternity and God said, what did you do with that pain and that sin that you worked so hard to get out of your life? Well, nothing. I'm clean. I'm happy. I'm with you. What, what do you mean? I'm supposed to No, I'm great. We're good. What about all those people around you? Well, I'm sure they got their own stories and their own stuff. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> God says, I want it to flow through you to them so that repentance this this is such the beauty of repentance repentance is just not you in your closet getting things right with god repentance is you allowing god to work through your story to speak into the life of somebody else to say you think you have sins <laughs> that's funny let me tell you some of mine okay you give me your list i'm pretty sure i can trump it okay i'm pretty sure i got more sins than you do going on right? I'm pretty sure those are kind of like JV. I've got the varsity ones up here, brother. Let me just kind of work those out with you, okay? When we allow Christ to do this properly, we allow the, the repentance to go from God to us through others, because as we read in our community group, as you've been working through this book, Life and Community, his words were basically that mercy is communal, Forgiveness and repentance lived out among us here will be transformational to those who see it. So, yes, repent. Yes, turn. Yes, confess. Yes, have hatred. But don't just bottle it up for just you and Jesus. Use it in the life of other people. This morning as we close, uh, we're going to sing out those very words. There's an amazing song that, that we were able to do that I think lyrically hits a lot of these ideas of, yes, he has done these things for me. Yes, he has changed me. He has transformed me. And I will, I will put my trust in him, but I'll allow that to go out to other people. So if you wouldn't mind, would you, would you stand with me as I pray and, and close this out and let this be our declaration as we go out? That yes, we can ask for forgiveness, but how can we live it out in those that we love and care about? Father, we thank you this morning. We love you that you are a God who offers us repentance. You are a God who is abundant in mercy. You have more in reserves than we could ever take. And so I pray this morning, Father, that these words would be the words of our hearts, that you would take our lives, God, that you would take our, our actions, and, and yes, we would get right with you, but ultimately we would allow that to flow into the lives of those around us. Make this our declaration as we leave. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.